passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are live. It is the Cafe Hangout, everybody. I am John Pollock, joined as always by waiting. Thank you to all of you joining us for a special Friday edition of The Hangout. And why is it such a special edition? Not just the end of the week, but we are joining, we are going to be joined by two tremendous guests over the next hour. We're going to be chatting with MLW CEO, Court Bauer, complete with that fancy title that he comes with. Uh, but joining us right off the bat, uh, one of the busiest men in professional wrestling, I do say so myself, uh, a man that hosts an amazing four podcasts and is the person uh, among many that is bringing StarCast to everybody the weekend of May the 23rd from Las Vegas. It's a pleasure to welcome Conrad Thompson to the Cafe Hangout. Conrad, how are you doing today? And thanks for having me on. I hope I can live up to that uh, hyped up intro there. Thanks a lot. Well, uh, first of all, I appreciate it very much that you can uh, take time out of your very busy schedule to join us. Uh, as we are speaking with you, on May the 3rd, I was very smart to try and ask you to come on uh, this far out from StarCast, but give me a glimpse of what your days are looking like uh, as you get towards uh, the weekend of May 23rd. I mean, is this just everything geared towards uh, StarCast at the moment? How crazy is the life of Conrad Thompson at the moment? Uh, it's 24-7 right now. You know, we're finalizing all of our interior signage and uh, we're updating all the itineraries for the individual talent and making sure that we've crossed our T's and dotted our I's and uh, it is a all-hands-on-deck scenario. I'm actually hosting uh, six folks at my house this weekend, and that's all we're doing yesterday, today, tomorrow, and Sunday. And hopefully by Monday, we'll have uh, a much better handle and, and be ready to go. So I'm trying to be uh, proactive based on some, some things I learned last year at StarCast, and I'm pretty excited about this. This is going to be the best wrestling convention ever. If we had spoken to you on uh, back on Labor Day, on the Monday after All In, and told you there will be a StarCast 2, I mean, what percentage of you was dedicated to the fact that you were not ever going to entertain this idea? Or was that weekend so big that in the, in the crevices of your mind, Conrad, you knew that there would be a follow-up? Well, you know, I wasn't on social media that entire weekend. I was in what I call StarCast hell. And I told anybody who would listen, I would never do this again. But before I left town, I made five pages of notes that if I was ever dumb enough to do this again, here's what I would do differently. 
uh, when I finally logged into social media, it was overwhelming the positive support that I got. Uh, I mean, really just, um, hard to really process how much fun everybody had and all the nice things I was tagged in. But all I saw all weekend, you know, were the 25 things I wish I would have done better. And I really focused on that. And I, I sort of thought this is uh, the only opportunity to ever do a StarCast because realistically. Hey, Conrad, sorry to stop you. You're just on a really Hello? poor connection. So I think we're going to reconnect with you through a landline, if that's all right. And we'll call you right back, okay? Okay. We will uh, we will reconnect uh, with Conrad and, and pick up there. But uh, for those of you that are listening live, uh, StarCast 2, just to give you all the particulars, May 23rd through 26th, and it's going to be taking place at dual locations in Las Vegas, Nevada, the weekend of Double or Nothing. They're going to have events going on at Caesars Palace as well as the Tuscany Suites and Casino. They have announced uh, tons of shows that are going on, uh, shows involving uh, the Young Bucks and Cody, uh, hosted by Alex Marvez. Behind the Paint with Sting. Live Talk is Jericho. Uh, they're doing The Way In, which they did back uh, all in weekend. Uh, shows with Bruce Pritchard, with Booker T. Uh, a really cool panel with Jim Ross hosting uh, 30 Years and Five Stars Later, involving Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair 30 Years After Their Three Classics. So, I mean, the the list, we could spend the entire hour going uh, over who is appearing at this and all the cool events that are going on. But uh, Conrad is, is back on the line with us, and... Uh, Conrad, as you mentioned, like the five pages of notes that you put together, uh, how how quickly after are you sitting down and looking at these notes and suddenly uh, you're realizing that StarCast 2 is a reality and it's time to tackle a lot of these uh, ideas that you had coming out of the first one and implementing it towards this follow-up? It wasn't until, I would say, December that it started to feel like, hey, uh, this might actually be a thing, you know, with all elite wrestling and and then just probably going to run a show, and then if they did, where would it be? Uh, and so I started to do a little bit of scouting in December, and then in January it became official and real. And um, we signed contracts and started promoting it, and I started to put together the talent and sort of the, the schedule of events, and we were off to the races. But I started with those five pages of notes of things that we could do a little differently. Like one of the things I never really considered is you know, hey, if somebody misses their plane or if their plane is delayed, how do you communicate that with everybody as they're standing in line? Well, the answer was an app, so I could send push notifications. So that was one of the first things we did. And you know, four and a half pages later, uh, we've got we've got a, a much, a much much different Starcast too. What would you say are, are were maybe some of the main criticisms of uh, the first time you put the show out? Well, that it was too tight. You know, we didn't have enough space. You know, when I first put together StarCast, I thought, man, if I could just get like six or 800 people to show up to this thing, that would be incredible. We sold 11,000 tickets. Um, wow. And, and that, that includes meet and greets and all that. So, you know, I'm not saying 11,000 people came, but still thousands of people attended. Uh, so it far exceeded my expectations. And uh, I wanted to remedy that. So last year in um, Chicago, we had, I'm going to say 25,000 square feet. We've got over 100,000 this year, so we've got way more space. Uh, so the the, tent, the tight, cramped quarters that we had last year will not be the case now. And uh, we've also been able to step up our production a little bit. Last year, one of our stages was outdoors, essentially in uh, you know a fancy wedding tent. But that was the nearest facility we could get to the building because Sears Center is not really like in Chicago proper. 
in the suburbs. And so the nearest I could get to there is Schaumburg, which uh, doesn't have a ton of convention space. So we made it work at Hyatt, but obviously being at Caesars Palace, it's a whole other level. What what are some of the uh, advantages of being in Las Vegas um, and how that just changes the the enormity uh, of this event being in in Las Vegas, which, I mean, it's it's the entertainment capital. Uh, Tell us just a bit about the location decision and challenges and also positives that this location has brought for you guys. Well, you know, it's fun because I've gotten a, a lot of wrestling promoters telling me, oh, you shouldn't have ran Las Vegas as if I had a choice. You know, AEW's double or nothing is happening at MGM Grand. So, of course, StarCast 2 is going to be in Las Vegas as well. It was a no-brainer for me. I wanted to do the, the event at either Caesars Palace or MGM Grand. I feel like both of those buildings have a rich wrestling tradition and history. Uh, so it really just came down to the economics and availability of the space. Uh, and MGM was not available. Caesars was. So we jumped at the chance to do something with Caesars, the home of WrestleMania 9. And it's been really easy or relatively easy to attract international talent. A guy like Kenta Kobashi, who never makes a stateside appearance, I don't think he's ever even done an American meet and greet. I could be wrong on that. Uh, he jumped at the chance to come to Las Vegas. Uh, that's a little different than trying to book him to come to Chicago. And I love Chicago, but you know, Las Vegas does have a certain amount of, uh, I don't know, interest and intrigue from international talent. So they're in, and that was that was easy. But everything else was harder. Uh, my airfare is is two and a half times what it costs in Chicago because it's uh, a Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend rather. So it's a it's a weekend where you know they jack up the hotel rates, they jack up the airfare, and it's proven to be a lot more costly as a promoter with the Vegas unions and things like that. It's just uh, much much more involved and financially taxing compared to Chicago. Uh, but it is it is a great thing for fans because we got great room blocks. You know, we had rooms sold for as low as $79 a night with no daily resort fee, which is basically unheard of in Las Vegas. And we sold through that block. So a lot of people who are coming to StarCast got a great deal on their rate. Uh, but when I needed more rooms for more talent, I did not get any of that savings myself. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about booking Kenta Kobashi for this show. At what point did you decide that he would be a good get for this? Did it have anything to do with the dropouts of, of any of the WWE uh, contracted stars? And, and tell me about the reaction that, that he's received uh, once you announced him. Uh, no, it didn't have anything to do with the dropout. I actually started working on uh, him in uh, January. Uh, and it just took a while to get a commitment. But I did time the release of his announcement uh, once I knew for sure that I had to just sort of abandon ship and give up on the Undertaker-Kurt Angle uh, contracts that I had in place and agreements and whatever. So I I waited, and I knew I had it in my back pocket, and uh, I knew that I had Tom McGee in my back pocket. So if I did you know, have to say, okay, I'm throwing up the white flag, I I tap out, I give up, WWE, you can take them back. Then I would have something that I could, you know, make fans happy with. And somewhere along the line, uh, Taz uh, and I started communicating, and Taz never makes appearances. So it wound up being a, a still uh, a positive week for us to announce that we had Tom McGee sitting down with Bret Hart, and we had Kenta Kobashi, and we had Taz. I mean, those are three really, really rare gifts, and uh, to have them all there as a compensating factor for fans who were really excited about the Undertaker, I was proud to do. But all those wheels were in motion months prior to the announcement. 
I just love the term that I had Tom McGee in my back pocket. I mean, to, to, to wrestling fans, like that is a, a statement you can truly appreciate. Um, and, and that's a really cool deal that you guys have with, with Bret Hart and, and Tom McGee, who are going to be doing a panel together, talking about this match that has just lived in infamy. Um, was it, was this a difficult process getting the two together and kind of, you know, making lemonade out of what, what you were presented with, with this whole WWE situation? Well, I mean, the plan was to was to find a way to do it all along, and obviously the um, the volume really got turned up, you know, when the buzz on the tape really popped off sometime in March. But I was already in contact with Tom, and we had been going back and forth, and we finally made a deal. And um, I had a phenomenal uh, video and graphics guy named Chris McDonald who put together the announcement, and I think it's probably the coolest video we've ever put together. Uh, and people were really excited about it, and it's because – yeah, that's really the idea behind Starcast is let's put together something that's different, something that's unique. You know, meet and greets are not unique. You can you can pretty much do a meet and greet uh, any random weekend in the United States. There's one happening somewhere with wrestling legends. But where can you bring something to the table that nobody's seen before, nobody's had before, that's never been done? Tom McGee and Bret Hart talking about that match fits the bill. We're excited to have it at Starcast. Is it an easier buy-in this time around, Conrad, after you've had the one successful convention already that people know that th- this is not just promoter talk that I'm getting from somebody. I know that they have the ability to execute this and there's a giant audience for it. Has it been easier this time around for those maybe that weren't part of the first StarCast? Uh, without question. And I think that was never more evident than when I announced some of the first names coming to StarCast. You know, I got Bret Hart and I got Sting. Those are two names I couldn't get last year for whatever reason. But now, you know, I'm, I'm not an unknown entity in that game. I, I've proven that I can do it. Uh, and that sounds weird to talk about myself that way. But the first time, you know, the email is, hello, my name is Conrad Thompson, and I'm a first-time promoter. I wanted to be honest with everybody. And I know that's not the most salesman way to go about it, uh, but I just wanted to be honest because I knew when, when people started talking, they would say, hey, have you worked with this guy before? And, and that wasn't really the case. But I did have – a list of guys I've done business with that I sort of listed as, uh, we'll call it references. Uh, but it's a little different to say, hey, we're promoting the second one because the buzz last year was big enough that I had guys calling me after the first one saying they hate they missed it and hope they'll keep me in mind for the next one, that type of deal. So, I mean, even today, as we're sitting just you know less than two weeks out, I fielded two phone calls from wrestlers who weren't at StarCast 1 saying, hey, is it too late for me to get on StarCast 2? So it is a little easier this time. Instead of me having to go recruit talent, uh, a lot of them are coming to me, which is great. Who are some of the names that you've announced that have uh, attracted the most attention? You know, you mentioned Tom McGee. Um, like, did you ever think that there'd be a day where you would be dealing with, I guess, this level of fan that would be so uh, hardcore into this product that Tom McGee is as big of a draw now as, you know, any of your uh, big stars that you've announced? Well, you know, I don't know that he's uh, as big of a star, and, and I don't know. I think the interest is more in the match maybe than him, but the idea that, you know, we got him to come out is a pretty cool thing. But the biggest reaction uh, to me has, uh, has that was a bit of a surprise is Taz. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up a huge ECW fan, and uh, I guess I just didn't really know that Taz wasn't doing a lot of appearances. I didn't know how special that really was. Uh, but I had multiple convention promoters message me within an hour of me making the announcement saying, I don't know how you did it, but congratulations. We offered him this for that and blah, 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 and couldn't even get a returned email. 
And so the idea that these were sort of established brands who were sort of high-fiving me an email about getting Taz, I thought was pretty cool. And then I saw the reaction from the way things reacted online to the video and then the meet and greet pre-sales. I mean, he, he's a top seller for us. And I never would have imagined that, that that was the case, not disparaging his career. I just didn't know how rare it was. I, I didn't know that he wasn't as out there as, say, a Scott Hall or a Kevin Nash. You know, I didn't realize that that was not the same for him and how special this was until we announced it. As things stand today, are there still any ongoing negotiations with WWE, or has that largely been – is that done at this point, that there's there's no back and forth at this point? No, there's no back and forth at this point. You know, the, when, when we released the thing through Sports Illustrated, there were several days of you know, me sending text messages and no response. So uh, I gave everybody on that side a heads up that I was going to just go ahead and release the story of what happened and tell the truth and just let everybody know that Kurt Angle and, and The Undertaker wouldn't be appearing. Uh, so no one was caught off guard, you know, when it, when it you know, was published online. And I got a, a THX reply. So everybody knew what was coming, and, and here we are. In terms of yourself, Conrad, just kind of uh, your, yourself being now a second-time promoter of a, a large convention at this scale, the largest scale, uh, how do you, do you feel you've been able to adapt this time around in terms of you know delegating towards your team, growing your team as well? Um, just tell us a bit about yourself kind of approaching the, the second one and how you're, you're handling things. That is just astronomical when you look at what is all encompassing with StarCast. Way more attention to detail. You know, last year I just I tagged uh, the folks who had helped uh, organize the, the showroom floor for WrestleCon uh, and just said, hey, we all just handled this space. And I focused all of my effort on the stage shows. Uh, and it wasn't until I was actually there when I realized, okay, there's way more involved in the vendor room than I imagined. Uh, so this year, the attention to detail of who is signing what time and who is their helper and who will, you know, what is what are the best practices like? I mean, all the little tiny details of it, like who's going to go get the enamel pins for the Sting meet and greet and make sure they're at the table. Well, last year, you know, I'm just in the room delegating, saying, "Hey, uh, Matthew, go take this to the." This year, everybody's already got, okay, at this time, I'm taking this there, and I'm taking that there. That attention to detail didn't exist last year. It exists now. And as far as I know, based on what I've been told, the level of planning we're doing here doesn't exist at any wrestling convention. So I'm, I'm going the other way. I'm being maybe too much of a planner, but hopefully the experience is worth it for all the fans. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the continued association with AEW and, you know, um, exactly what that relationship is like. I mean, Cody's my buddy and Tony Khan's my buddy and I'm very friendly with the Bucks and uh, obviously I'm friendly with Chris Jericho. I've been on his pod a few times and I mean, I'm tight with a lot of those guys. Judge Jeff Jones is one of my very best friends. I'll talk to him 40 times a day and, and he's now on that squad as well. But I, I don't work there. I don't have an official affiliation. Uh, we don't have any sort of business ties on paper there's no contracts in place uh but I, I would be happy to support aew at every chance i get i mean i'm going to be at that show i'm not going to miss it and i'm going to tell everybody that they need to do the same and if and when a pay-per-view distribution is announced i'm going to be promoting that too I'm, i want my friends to succeed and i think it's great for the wrestling business you guys are also offering the uh, the 
the the four day pass on Fight TV for people that can't be there in Las Vegas that weekend. Um, how, how much of these events are people going to be able to to watch through Fight? Is it essentially that you can see all of these shows w- without restrictions if you're not in Las Vegas? Almost all of them. There are some that, from just a union labor standpoint, we've got to cut it off. Right. Like the Starcast comedy show uh, with Ron Funches, uh, that will not make air. Uh, the Joey Ryan documentary we won't be airing. The Kenny Omega documentary we won't be airing. Uh, but everything else that's listed at um, Caesar's Palace, well, of course, the after party, that won't air. Everything else will air. It's, uh, I think it's around 22 or 23 shows, and you can watch them live or on demand, two stages going at the exact same time in HD. And you can enjoy it anywhere in the world from a smart device or a smart TV or anywhere where you have Wi-Fi or even, you know, 3 or 4G. Um, Fight is our carrier, and you can check it out at StarCastOnFight.com. Get all four days, nearly 40 hours of content for just 59 bucks. I just think that like it's just overwhelming to look at, at the list of all the stuff you have planned. And, and one of them that I'm really looking forward to is, is the panel chat that you have scheduled with Arn Anderson that, you know, it's, it's rare that you get someone that has, you know, he has not done a, a ton of interviews. He has not been on podcasts. It's someone that, um, you know, this will be the first time he's speaking since, since leaving WWE. That's, I, I think that that's one of, of a men of many, that it's a very unique experience that you have Arn Anderson as part of this. Yeah, I mean, we're really excited to have him. You know, he, much like Taz, has not done a lot of stuff like this. And uh, I wanted to swing for the fences and get some shows that, you know, you might not normally see. The crown jewel, though, to me, is still the rest of Ric Flair. I think that could be its own standalone event. And uh, it's it's lumped in here with everything else. So, you know, we're just casually listing all these panels. But the rest of Ric Flair should be its own standalone pay-per-view on its own. But it's actually included uh, whenever you pick up uh, StarCast on Fight. Has there been a long list of volunteer roasters that have come your way? And are you the, the selector of the roasters? Uh, I, I am and I am not. I, I've got uh, a couple of comedians who are helping me with that, uh, Dan St. Germain and Mike Lawrence, and, of course, Ron Funches is the host. So I consult with all of those guys, but we have had a ton of people uh, say, hey, I'd like to roast Rick, both you know whether it's celebrity or wrestling names uh, or comedians. And... Um, we are at a limit now. We, we've got so many that I'm like, I don't even know that we can fit that many chairs on stage. So uh, it's going to be fun, and uh, it's going to be – the last year was really the dress rehearsal for the roast of Bruce Pritchard. You know, we had never done a roast before. I certainly hadn't. So there was planning there, but there's certainly another level here. We've, we've got a joke bank created. And it's another level. This is going to be fun, the roast of Ric Flair. Uh, just a few more minutes before we let you go, Conrad, just uh, uh, flipping over to the, the podcast side of your world, uh, which is still uh, running as strong as ever. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Pritchard there. Uh, you guys are going to be doing at least your last scheduled uh, live show. Uh, since Bruce has gone back to the company and just uh, finding the time now with Bruce on the road, how has that transition been? Have you guys been able to to find a, a, a balance? You're still putting out the show every Friday. What has that uh, several month period been like with with Bruce now back on the road? Hell, we've recorded shows at 5 in the morning, and we've recorded shows at midnight. Uh, this week we recorded the show at 3 in the afternoon on a work day. Uh, you know, just wherever we can fit it in, we're committed to doing it every week. Uh, last week is the first time we've missed a show, and we had to air a best of ever. Uh, we did one of the best of when all of Houston was underwater, including Bruce. So since he had no electricity and no way to leave his home, uh, that wasn't feasible. Uh 
but this is the first time we've done a best of. So we called in Tony Schiavone and had him uh, basically beg Triple H for a job in between clips. So I didn't realize that would be the case when we tapped him and said we needed help, but that's what happened. But we're back in the saddle this week with JBL and, and plan to be every Friday at noon moving forward. And our uh, final thing here, uh, this week you guys uh, officially launched uh, Grilling JR with uh, a great discussion about Jim Ross leaving WCW in early 1993, going over uh, to the WWF. I know that you guys have been uh, planning this for, for quite some time. What's the early reaction been thus far uh, to not just uh, the new podcast, but also the new format for Jim Ross, which I, I think very much is, is going to be a big hit with him? I think the format that I use on my shows for 83 weeks, something to wrestle is basically, I mean, it was made for Jim Ross Mm -hmm. and I really feel confidently that it's going to be one of the strongest podcasts around. And the first day downloads tell the story. You know, we dropped the show yesterday at 6 a.m. And I think by the time I hang up this call, it'll be one of, if not the most downloaded JR podcast in the history of Westwood one. It's already passed everything he's done this year. As far as I can tell, but there was a, a renewed interest in JR, and I don't think that that means that the old uh, platform was broken. I think JR fans want to hear about JR. And the type of person who would download the JR podcast wants to hear from JR. And I think uh, there is a market that, that I have enjoyed uh, working in that space for nostalgia. So rather than just hear JR's thoughts on Raw or SmackDown, and those certainly have value. I think JR talking about his jump from WCW to the WWF is much more compelling and interesting, and it's real. You know, it's it's his story, and only he can tell it. Uh, it's not just his opinion; it's what he believes. And um, I think it's going to be the most fun podcast of the year. And I hope everybody gives it uh, a chance. Uh, you can download it right now on his old feed. We won't be moving feeds; we're just going to rename that current one. So if you don't see Grilling JR, just look for the Jim Ross report and uh, it'll populate for you. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend everyone uh, going to check out that podcast. Uh, Conrad, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, just a final mention out there for those that are out there to get all their, their StarCast needs. Uh, Where's the best place to send them? If you're on Twitter, just check out at StarCast Events uh, or if you just want to pop, uh, pump it in your browser, it's StarCast.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T.com. If you can't make it out and don't really need to see the full schedule of events in person and would rather just watch it from the comfort of your home, you can check it out at StarCastOnFlight.com. Really appreciate this time. Hey, hey, it's Conrad on Twitter. You can follow all of his many shows out there with Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, and now Jim Ross. I don't know how you do it, Conrad, and thank you so much for uh, taking some time to chat with us today. Hey, man, thank you guys a lot for inviting me on. I appreciate you guys doing that and support what you guys are doing. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Conrad, and all the best that weekend. Thank you. Great. That was Conrad Thompson, everyone. Uh, Very, very busy man. And yeah, if you're looking at this schedule, um, like, hey, we we don't have uh, any involvement with fight, but honestly, that $60 for the four-day event, I I think that's a really good deal that it includes all of these different shows. I I think that if you're not in Las Vegas, um, there's a lot of cool stuff here that they've planned for the ultimate wrestling follower as we've kind of you know seen from like wrestlemania weekend sometimes the best way to to experience all this stuff is actually from uh your home yeah you know through through fight because i'm I'm sure you and i'll definitely like watch a bunch of the stuff that weekend yeah being there live and and having to kind of like um navigate as much as as there is it's it's it could be a little daunting so 
it, it, it they they seem to have hit on a lot of really interesting concepts uh for shows yes yeah. so uh thanks again to conrad thompson for joining us uh we're going to be joined by uh court bauer in a couple of minutes to chat about that and uh fusion which is coming up on saturday night they're doing a special edition of fusion um time permitting we will try and get to some of your phone calls at the end of the show we can also go over saturday's wrestling dontaku show uh the first card went down earlier today which was headlined by dragon lee and taiji ishimori and then saturday's card kazuchika okada defending the iwgp title against sonata so those are uh some of the shows uh, to catch if you're on New Japan World. And Wei and I will be back on Saturday with a special Patreon show covering both wrestling Dantaku shows. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, care to go over any uh, uh, of the uh, card thus far? Yes. Uh, so we mentioned that uh, it's going to be headlined by Kazuchika Okada taking on Sonata. That is a rematch for the IWGP heavyweight titles. I pull up the schedule here with the full lineup. And let's take a look. We've got second from the top, Tomohiro Ishii taking on Evil. That's actually the first time they have ever had a singles match. Uh, so that will be second from the top. Kota Bushi and Rapongi 3K taking on Tetsuya Naito, Bushi, and Shingo Takagi. That actually they did on today's show, uh, so a rematch on Saturday, Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay teaming up against Taiji Shimori and the mysterious X, who will be revealed, and many expecting it to be El Fantasmo. There was actually a vignette that aired on Friday's show uh, indicating another person coming in that uh, they threw to a video while Juice Robinson was in the ring, and the video is a mysterious person seated at a bar with a knife and had a Union Jack on their arm, and this person will be revealed on the finals of the Best of the Super Juniors tournament on June the 5th at Sumo Hall, presumably coming in uh, to feud with Juice Robinson uh, with the tagline, Time's Up. Uh, going back to the card for Saturday, we have Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, Mikey Nichols, and Tomoki Honma against Jay White, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikuleo. Togi Makabe, Toriano, and Jushin Liger against the Gorillas of Destiny and Jado. And then 10-man tag involving uh, Suzuki-gun against the five-man team of Jeff Cobb, Yoshihashi, Toa Hanare, Tiger Mask, and Ryusuke Taguchi. And it opens up with the Young Lions, Yota Suji, and Yuya Uemura against Ren Narita and Shota Umino. So uh, I think that we'll have an interesting card to talk about on Saturday. It feels very much like the Dontaku cards are one really good card spread out over two nights and... That's kind of New Japan's uh, philosophy, especially when it comes to wrestling Dontaku. And there are two nights that they have now been running traditionally most years in Fukuoka. Other news that we'll be getting to, uh, which we can chat about now as well, uh, if court is not available. Uh, Daniel Bryan received his clearance earlier this week, so he should be back on television imminently, although we are not sure when he will be back. Uh, but good news, nonetheless, that uh, Daniel Bryan will be back soon, and it's nothing too serious. NXT TakeOver is going to be happening on Saturday, June the 1st, and it's going to be taking place. I had heard that the leading candidate is Bridgeport, Connecticut, but the last I heard, that was not 100%, but it was expected that they'll announce Bridgeport on Monday. So that's most likely where it's going to be taking place and an interesting test now doing a takeover without piggybacking off a big wwe weekend and doing it on its own which uh i think if you're running in bridgeport i think it's a it's a good enough market we'll see how well they can do and especially building this on short notice they're going to be announcing this on monday and the ticket information so you're, you're talking less than a month to sell tickets to this as well 
So it's a very quick turnaround for TakeOver. We got court. We do have court. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let us welcome on uh, the man that previously used to host a show with myself, now has moved up in the world, a CEO of MLW. You can catch Fusion Saturday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on BN Sports. And there's a very special edition of the show coming up on Saturday night with executive producer Selena Delarenta, and here to chat about Fusion and all things MLW. Court Bauer is on the line. Court, are you there, my man? Hey, guys. What's going on this Friday afternoon? It feels weird without uh, Pusha T introducing us here. Mm, we have to work on that for the next time. Well, Court, uh, there's a lot to discuss. Uh, let, let's start off with Fusion right off the bat. Tell me a bit about th- this idea and uh, Selena De La Renta and uh, how you guys have kind of been able to, to separate this week's episode and put a different flavor onto it. Yeah, well, Selena's on the shaft this week. She actually was involved with the post-production process of taking what we filmed in New York in April and assembling this week's episode. And, of course, on camera, she will also uh, have a presence. In fact, uh, earlier today, she just signed a new contract and restructured her deal. So she's going to be with us uh, for the foreseeable future. We you now restructured a contract a few times, but uh, when you have that kind of uh, balance, uh, that's what you look to do, keep them happy, but also uh, get a long-term commitment. So we're excited to have her and her presence on our show, but she's also worked for us behind the scenes. Uh, she's a liaison. It's actually uh, it's true. Her character does represent town, but she actually is a liaison for us uh, in Mexico and uh, Puerto Rico and a few other places, uh, which we stumbled upon because uh, some of the luchadors actually thought she was uh, doing that for us. And we're like, well, let's go with it because they were reaching out to her looking to get booked in the state. So uh, it's great having her. And I think the show's going to be very different, very entertaining. And uh, we'll, and you got to do that. When you do 52 weeks of TV, it's make it feel a little different, but also true to what you are. How did you first come across her and, your initial impressions of her. I mean, this is someone uh, very young in the industry. I would imagine most people are seeing her for the first time on MLW fusion. Um, Just take me back to when you were first introduced to her and you know what she has grown into as a personality on the show. Yeah, I was introduced to her in uh, probably the spring of 2017 when I started to kind of put in the uh, first wave of work on on doing one shot, which was supposed to be just a one time only MLW event. And uh, Mr. St. Laurent, a quasi-Canadian, I suppose, uh, introduced me to her, and uh, I was really interested. I thought there was, she just had it, and she was at the time probably 19, and uh, you know, I had a conversation with her like I do with a lot of young talent, and, and I see something when I see something in them. And it basically goes along the lines of, I need you to trust me, I need you to be able to trust the process, and if it works out, it's going to be great. And uh, she she signed on and she bought in, and uh, the rest is history. You know, she was Alex Greenfield, myself. We worked with her uh, in October 2017 in pre-tapes. By December 2017, she was almost a one-take Jake. She could just knock it out of the park. She just really quickly took to it. Uh, very similar to MJF. It's like those are our two projects. They also have I mean, the first two to be signed. Uh, and they just, the wrestling IQ is through the roof, very ambitious, very quick. You don't have to say something twice to them. They get it. Instinctively, they're right there, just great talent, very young, and uh, that's what we look for. I mean, in this 
I'm and I find myself, and it's kind of like I'm playing wrestling's version of Moneyball for talent. Uh, you, know, you look for undiscovered talent, undervalued talent, and you try to invest in them and, and put them in the system for the long term. Is that buy-in tough court, especially with, with younger talent? That I mean, uh, you explain it, and it it seems like it's easier said than done sometimes of talent that doesn't quickly yeah. start second guessing and thinking, well, why don't we do it this way or that way? Is, is that something that that's rare among young talent to fully ju- just trust those that, that are, have this experience and trust the process? I don't flex. It's like, you know, I, I want it to be a collaborative experience. So it's, you know, you have a conversation, you kind of give them a little adjustment here and there. Uh, they you let them you encourage them to, Throw stuff at you. You know, I don't give scripts. We don't have a creative team. So it's here's what we're looking for out of the character. Here's a situation. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm looking for. What do you think? How would you say it? How would you do this? And and you kind of go back and forth. So you get them invested. You want them invested. Uh, you don't want them just to be a puppet. You, know, you want them to be very much what wrestling to me, I always enjoyed was when you saw it back in the day, those guys really felt real to you because they were in the skin of the, the, the persona they were playing. And so that's what I try to channel with the talent. Uh, you never get about a thousand guys just, you know, it's hard for them to kind of work TV. It's, 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 it's a struggle. They're not used to that. Uh, others are just, you know, sometimes one system works them better than another system. That's, that's no fault of anyone. Just, you can just find that. It's like that with sports, you find a guy that works better on one team than he would on the other. Just how it works. What exactly is involved in uh, executive producing, Cord? What what duties is uh, Selena De Laurenta actually going to be, or has has she done? Yeah, you know, you, you watch. First of all, you're putting together the show. Uh, you, you, she's working with someone like Alice Greenfield, who puts together the run sheets and kind of takes everything we filmed and helps us cobble together based off of our rough outline for each each episode. Uh, and then you're kind of fine tuning it, getting a feel for it. Uh, you're looking at about some. Sometimes we'll go you know, four, four different cuts into a show. Sometimes we'll go a little higher, so you know, something like that. And you're watching it, and you're making adjustments and and, and giving notes to our, our our production team. And then you're sweetening it. You're finding ways to enhance it. You know whether it's you know, you, the music you use or what you're doing just to kind of make it send that punctuation home. Uh, so Selena was involved with that. This was her first outing doing something like that. And uh, it's also nice to have you know, 21, 22 year olds take on something, a fresh mind in the mix. Um, you know, we, we really encourage guys like MJF, they, you know, shadow us, learn from us, uh, also contribute. Um, you know, I, I think that's always, that's always important. You, know, you want a fresh take on it, a younger take on it. And, uh, and, and Selena really did contribute. I was very happy. And I, We'll probably, unless something goes terribly wrong with this episode, so tune in. Uh, she'll maybe she'll do another one. We'll see. Is this something that you hope to be doing with more of your talent? To you know, potentially give a show to to all of your uh, MLW roster eventually. Well, probably kicked off the air for here to Teddy Hart, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to see. <laughs> Teddy Hart. We already have H two TV, but yeah, it's, it's possible. You know, the idea really came from. Now, the mid-2000s, I remember Tenru did a – he exec-produced an event for All Japan. That was the theme of the All Japan show, was a Tenru-produced event. And I thought that was just an interesting thing to see, okay, through their eyes, what would your show look like? Uh, and I thought, well, it really worked for All Japan. Uh, we don't want to 
Xerox that, but it would be nice to maybe be a little influenced by that and then apply it to, to the MLW world. When we just came back here to, to Selena and the decision to pair her with Loki, obviously a strategic one. You have a long history with Loki, and I would argue like you have been able to to you know just make things click with Loki. Uh, tell us just a bit about that decision with, with that specific pairing and what Loki has brought uh, to to her performances as well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, for Loki, this was really an opportunity for him to show the world like what he could do beyond bell to bell. And I'll tell you, every every promo he's done has been really strong and different. And you really want, you really hate him. And he plays into that passion. He plays into how how he's perceived. And he's really found something. He's really been able to show the world a different side. At the same time, he's at a point in his his career where it's, uh, you find a new avenue where I think it's you enjoy mentoring talent and working with young talent and you always maybe liked it but now you really see it's interesting because you have this skill set that you can help others uh, elevate their game with and that's like really really rewarding for me and I think for low-key and others and uh, he really did a hell of a job working with Selena as well uh, and they just they had great chemistry they have a really good chemistry together uh, and it's funny because then all of a sudden promotion is Dorado there uh, faction started to get booked uh, in different places. L.A. Park and Promotiones is down in Mexico. Uh, they've been out in Colorado. So it's cool to see that this thing kind of you know have legs and see that there's an interest to, to start booking the talent in package duos or, or tri- trios throughout the country and beyond. When Way and I were down at the television tapings over WrestleMania week, we were there on the Thursday night, and the most popular guy on that show from the, the reaction that I heard was for Teddy Hart. And it's really been an interesting story to watch Teddy Hart that when you brought him on, I'm sure there were many people that were thinking like, this will have its novelty and then something's going to happen and Teddy will be off yet again. But you have been able to be someone that has been able to bring out the best of Teddy Hart. And I don't know what you can necessarily put your finger on that, whether it's surrounding him with the right people, but you're getting the most out of, Teddy Hart, and it's it's been a really intriguing story to watch this guy thriving in MLW at yeah. the moment. Well, I love a good comeback story, and I think MLW as a whole is that. Uh, it's also got a lot of these miscreants, these renegades, this island of misfits, and uh, whatever for whatever reason, this environment, uh, a lot of these guys have thrived, uh, including myself, I guess, and yeah. and. You know, even Jim Cornell. It's like you look at well, you keep like right, look at our roster page on MLW.com and be like, oh my God, how how do all these guys like like coexist in this habitat? And it's just it's just worked. And uh, I have a long term relationship and friendship with a lot of them, but on a business level, you kind of have to know what makes these guys tick. And on a creative level, you do, uh, and on all levels. And I've known Teddy since. 2003, when he got kicked out of Ring of Honor, he went that night and was sleeping in the Newark uh, airport. And I picked uh, I picked Teddy up, and uh, that was the beginning of our friendship. Uh, and he was that was like the, the best night, and the worst night. He went in there thinking he was just gonna be this huge rock star, and then he's thrown out of the locker room with his bags, and it's just like just crushing for him. Uh, and I also was crazy enough to convince uh, Vince McMahon to sign him in 2007, along with you know. Natty and, and Davy Boy and Tyson. Uh, but, you know, it, we've had a long relationship, long history together that's gone across several companies. 
Uh, but it was great to bring him home and, and say, let's, let's try this. Let's shove it up everyone's ass and show them what you got. And yeah, he is a massive star. The Heart Foundation have shattered all our merchandise records, just shattered them. Uh, and it's been great. It's been great for Teddy. It's been great for us. And the fans get to see Teddy every week on TV. I don't think anyone ever thought they'd see that in 2019. And he's, uh, he's thriving. What has somebody like Jim Cornette brought to MLW, not just from uh, as an announcer, but b- behind the scenes? Well, you know, Jim was so fun because basically I called him. I was like, on a whim, I was like, man, I'd love to give Jim a shot. I, I don't know if he'd say yes. Two phone calls later, well, really a total of two phone calls, he was in. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And, uh, his, you know, he, he's been great. He helps age in a few matches. Uh, he, seeing him and, and collaborating with MJF backstage, I was like, ooh, it's fun watching those two, like, just in the lab doing their thing. Uh, but also just, you know, I thought he, I think he's really done a great job in the broadcast booth. He takes my talent book, uh, something I was like a, kind of a carryover from, and I was with UFC Fight Pass, and they give you those talent books, and they show, you know, they kind of break down each fighter and their backgrounds and their story going into the fight and pros and cons and what they bring to a fight. I applied that to the MLW, but Jim was really the first person to really take that talent book, which is like a phone book, and I know everyone probably hates slogging around with that thing, and then put it in his own words and be able to make something really work uh, and sell the talent, sell the, the, the kind of the context of a match. I'm still true, be true to Jim Cornette. You know, I don't want to produce him. I want Jim to be Jim, but I want to give him the information so he can thrive and understand the feuds going into this and, and the wrestlers. Who he, some of them he was familiar with, some of them he wasn't. But, you know, he also works with us uh, with a pre-tape team. We have a few pre-tape teams, and he works with one. In the first outing in Chicago where he joined us, that Sunday morning he happened to be up early, and, and there was uh, an open room, and the camera was there, and he was – had like an open invitation for a, uh, a promo class. Just if you wanted to come in, feel free to come in. And that was sold out. And I think it's kind of really cool for Jim, just like with Tony Schiavone, it's like a whole new generation is getting to see Jim, the fans, but also the wrestlers. And I think they're seeing a different Jim Cornette and, and having a different relationship than they probably anticipated they would. And it's very positive. People forget about his time in OVW and how much talent he developed and how he really did connect great with the majority of the OVW guys and all those guys turned out to be studs and hey, he's, he's been awesome. He's our Bobby Knight, I guess. <laughs> what a comparison. That's, uh, that <laughs> probably fits like a glove. Uh, <laughs> since, since the move and you've now had, uh, you know, a number of months now since, since the move going from Fridays to Saturdays, how have you found uh, that adjustment, not just from uh, a new night of the week for people to watch, but also from a production standpoint, um, how, how has that transition been? It's been great because we were going to, you know, we were doing more live programming on Saturday nights when, you know, where our schedule shifted to Saturday nights. Uh, it just made sense. In the back of my mind, I was thinking SmackDown's coming to Fridays. I got to get off of Fridays right. because that's, I don't mind going head to head, but I don't think it's, it's the greatest scenario. Um, it's not like going ahead to head. It's just like, you know, fans can watch something on demand. You know, we just live in that era. So it's not as catastrophic, but it's not something I really desired. So, uh, the combination of us moving to Saturdays, doing live programming, and uh, wanting to move off of that as soon as possible to condition the audience to tune on Saturdays uh, felt like it was a good fit. And it, it's worked out pretty good for us. Uh, one of the first weeks in, we saw a huge surge in our audience. You know, we spiked it like, I think, the second week, maybe 120,000 viewers, which was not expected. I was very happy with. So, uh, you know, you don't know. Uh, Saturdays, I thought with UFC running, 
uh, and Saturday night main event, all these things over the years that you think, okay, maybe that's a better night for wrestling than a Friday night. Of course, WCW on, at 6.05. You don't know until you try it in 2019. And uh, it worked. I think Friday night we, we feel, felt it was fine, but we're seeing a lot of growth. And we've seen it with ticket sales, awareness across the board. When you're looking at just uh, television viewership as a, as a whole in the industry, and I mean, a lot of it centers at the moment on WWE. They're going through these right. tremendous declines. They're coming off to, you know, all-time low numbers for Raw and yeah. SmackDown. I mean, as someone that in a previous life was in that room, are you surprised at, or I mean, what kind of a response are you anticipating here? Because largely on a public front, like you aren't watching that like panic moves every single week on television from this. It seems like they are just biding their time through all this. And I don't know if that's the right move right. or the wrong move right now. Well, I mean, if you look at, since I was there, I mean, I, I will connect it directly to, and I don't want to be a downer on this, but it's like when the Benoit family tragedy hit, uh, overnight, they lo- they saw a huge drop in viewers, mm-hmm. and they really never get re- regained them. There was like this lost audience that just checked out, and they were not coming back. And over the course of now 12 years, that erosion has continued. I'm not saying it's all connected to that, but they certainly took a huge hit. And then since then, it's just slowly, gradually has gone down. You have If you look at the numbers, you're not going to see you know these big spikes, really. It's going to just gradually drop down. And so it's it's something that's been happening quietly for for years. It, it, it predates the three hour era. It's just been something that's been happening. They've been presenting a product that in, it's kind of been the same product for many many years. How they format it, how they present it, the stages are still they're a little bit more modernized, but they're essentially the same. The product hasn't really changed. Uh, it hasn't kind of evolved to that point where you think it should have. You know, all these years later. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons I think their, their, their viewership is what it is. There's also just, you know, it's a huge ask to for this era to, to watch for three hours. It's, it's very difficult. And so, you know, now you live in the era of disruption. Everything's in short, a little burst of content. Um, you watch it on your phone. You know, sitting down and watching a show conventionally is, is kind of becoming antiquated. So there's that. There's a lot of reasons. I don't think you can just zero in on one. I just no, think there's this yeah. accumulate. This is like an accumulation effect. It was going down already. All these things probably didn't help. Uh, what's the solution? Is it less overall content until things heat up and then expanding again? Maybe, but name a promoter that's going to take that proposition and tell all these networks, "Yeah, thanks for that billion dollar offer. We're just going to pass." <laughs> it's, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. Same with UFC. And the deals they take and how I remember there was a point in time when Dana White would just crow about not wanting to be boxing. The UFC was going to be different. Every fight was going to mean something. That's why I only do four of these things a year or six of these things. And now look at it. It's totally different. They are boxing. Do you expect any trickle-down uh, effects to from what the WWE is going through to MLW? And, and you know what? how would you prepare for anything like that? No, I mean, we're, we're seeing growth. We're seeing growth across all, you know, our YouTube numbers are up, ticket sales are up, uh, social media numbers are up. The, 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 all of the metrics are up. Uh, viewership is up on network TV, especially in Spanish. We're seeing a hu- our biggest growth in, on BN and Espanol because we have two shows, one in English every week and then one in Spanish. Uh, so I just think fans also are becoming more selective. They're, they're sophisticated. They know how to get and access content because of podcasts, because of social media, they're finding out and stumbling upon things they may have forgotten, not like just seen before, maybe were too fringy. 
So I think the fans just becoming more selective. I think you see that across the board with TV. It's like, you don't just have five channels. You don't just have cable. You can, you can watch, you know, something on YouTube, maybe like karate kid. And you just want to stream it on YouTube. I should say Cobra Kai. (laughs) Well, everyone's favorite competitor. When you're looking at um, the the current model right now where fans can tune in for the the weekly television show and, of course, a live event business as well, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, a paid model, whether it be uh, pay-per-views, quarterly specials, that kind of thing, what's kind of your your thinking at the moment when it it comes to that uh, of building to shows where you have the right timing where you can go to your fan base and ask to to pay for a big show yeah i think it's still there you know i think you've seen a lot of disruption you know with espn and the zone really just decimating how people you know access mma and boxing look at you know hbo shutting down uh boxing so you know it's it's like this weird thing where it's like it was making a ton of money for everyone but be, for various reasons, they jumped off of pay-per-view, but ve- pay-per-view is still viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to have something meaningful, right? and then you put all your steam behind it. I think it can work. How? What's the threshold? I think you don't know until you kind of start to gauge it. For us, that's probably the next frontier. You know, our, our next – the current st- uh, stage, our current phase is growing our global footprint, going after and attacking international media rights deals. Uh and then we're going to then roll out pay-per-view and, you know, is it once a year, twice a year, kind of, you know, the, the, the audience will tell us. And, and, I, and for me, it's fine if it's once a year, if it's twice a year, that's fine too. I don't want to just do it to do it. Um, you, know, you want to be, for us, you know, it's quality matters, you know, given the, the competitive landscape. Well, MLW Fusion, it's coming up Saturday night. The episode executive produced by Selena De La Renta as she looks to put Court Bauer out of a job and take over. And <laughs> you guys will be back June 1st. You've got television tapings, Milwaukee with Fury Road. And then July 6th, uh, you guys are back at Cicero Stadium, which has turned into quite the, the spot yeah. for you guys. I mean, did you oh, yeah. anticipate that coming, that that place has just become, I mean, it translates great on television. And I can imagine being in the building, uh, it's like it really takes you back almost to another era with some of the responses you guys have gotten to different characters. According to Jim Cornette, he believes Buddy Rogers and Luthez uh, had has had wrestled in that building. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to think so. I think he's doing some research for us on this. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was one of those things when I was like, we did a pulse on Instagram saying, or you know, we asked fans on Instagram, hey, where should we go next? And it just was a landslide for Chicago. So I said, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's try Chicago, and. You know, one of the films I looked at based on how we really found our audience, which is like 50, 60 percent first, second generation Mexican-Americans, was let's go to a predominantly uh, Spanish-speaking neighborhood. And Cicero Stadium was there. And uh, I said, OK, well, how big is it? And I was told, oh, 2,000. I said, oh, boy. All right. Well, maybe I can you know, film a third of this arena, this arena and, and not have to show the rest dark. I was mortified and I thought, okay, I've probably done that promoter thing where I've been off more than I could chew. Uh, and then we saw tickets move and we, we realized, okay, uh, our audience, which was watching uh, and we could track on BN, they, they, that we thought that there was an opportunity here. Then we also looked at social media and what they were telling us and clearly it, it worked. And so we sold it out. We turned away fans day of show. Uh, and then the second one we sold out in advance of the day of show, and, I, and we actually had added more seats. So we, had, we were north of 2,000 fans, and that blew my mind. So July 6th, now we're going for the 3 P in Chicago. And as a Bulls fan, I like the, the sound of a 3 P. And so I think we're tracking that we're going to probably sell it out. So 
Sweet Home Chicago. Here we come. Awesome. Court, great to catch up with you. Uh, we look forward to the episode on Saturday night. Again, that's uh, 9 Eastern on BN Sports. Monday nights, if you have BN Espanol at uh, midnight as well. So that airs U.S. and Canada for all your uh, your Canadian fans up here. Thank you. And as a hint of what our first pay-per-view main event could be, I'm just saying uh, it might be weighing me, maybe going another another oh. few rounds. We'll see. Stay tuned, huh? Uh, we'll we'll call word. up Samoa Joe and see if he's available. <laughs> give me the word. I'll start training. <laughs> he's on referee duty. Thanks a lot, Court. We, we will chat Take soon. Care. Bye. Court Bauer, everybody, from oh. MLW. Uh, oh, there I, you go. He's, I, he's starting the rumors, so you I, better either commit or just completely shut them down. You know, I will start dieting right away. Well, that was, a, that was a lot of fun to catch up with uh, Court Bowers. First time on the Cafe Hangout. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we have a couple minutes here. Uh, do you want to try and take some calls? Well, if anybody has a, f- a phone call, we are uh, airing on a Friday, so apologies if uh, we're not there. Uh, but phone lines are open right now if anybody's listening on the live feed and uh, wants to call in. one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three, or search for us post-wrestling. On Skype. Um, yes, we'll uh, we'll leave it open for a few minutes, uh, and if not, we'll uh, we will sign off. But uh, do you want to give people a tease into next week, or is that still up in the air? No, right no, now? no. We should we should discuss it right now. John Pollock, uh, very much to to my uh, happiness, is agreeing to take a mini vacation. He's not going anywhere out of town. He's still be he will still be very busy. He will still be in town, and I. I I know that he'll actually be very busy with some other projects, but uh, he will be around. Um, but uh, I will be taking over uh, Rewind to Raw, Rewind to SmackDown with uh, some of our friends from the Post Wrestling Network. Joining me on Monday uh, in John's place will be Davey Portman from Up Next. And uh, joining me on Tuesday to talk about SmackDown is Nate Milton. Uh, I'm looking to come back next week uh, with the Cafe Hangout, and I'll kind of, you know, still work on that and let people know the plans uh, later on. But John will be back with me for the double shot, as well as Ask Away, which comes out on uh, the Cafe feed next week. Yeah, so I won't be uh, completely um, uh, snapped out of the existence of uh, post-wrestling, but I I look forward to being able to listen to you, Way. I like um, listening to you sure. on shows that okay. I'm not involved with. Yeah, well, no problem. So, this'll, yeah, tune into that. Work. And, uh, yeah, the Cafe Hangout should be a lot of fun next week with you guys. Uh, we have a call. Uh, who, caller, uh, what's up? Hi, this is Ahmad. Oh, oh my God. man, look at this. We're just getting a, a ton of uh, old friends here on the show. Yo, Ahmad, how, how's it going, man? Are you um, grooving to that Slipknot in preparation? Oh, for- yeah, dude. I love Slipknot. <laughs> Shocking. Best fan <laughs> of all time. What's on your mind, Ahmad? Nice to have you on the Hangout. Yeah, it's about time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm at work right now, in case you were wondering, but it's fine. Um, oh. I had a question. Wait, do you, do you have a client um, in front of you right now? Uh, Are we interrupting anything? No, who cares about HIPAA? Okay. Um, my call is actually about, you know, everyone talks about back down going to Fox and... Um, they're uh, being a more sports-like feel, and I kind of know what that means. Um, but I'm more interested to hear uh, your guys' opinion on if you had to make the two uh, two shows distinct, what would you do exactly? Oh, okay. um, like in baseball, I don't really follow baseball, but I know one league has like a DH, like a designated hitter. And the other one does it like something as small as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think in wrestling um, for WWE specifically? How could you make these two shows actually feel different? 
but well, the rules are slightly different. Well, first of all, I, I would go more so, I wouldn't as be as concerned about like certain rule changes, even deciphering the titles. I don't think we're at a point now where you can just, you know, put the women on one show, for instance. I think like that needs to be part of the package. I would be content if you just had two separate showrunners that had ultimate control of these shows. And that's not going to happen. But I think that that would be a major start. And I would drastically revamp the look of SmackDown. I'd want a different director. I would want it shot differently. I would I would make just wholesale changes to everything you know about SmackDown that you watch it. And it feels like a different show because it's in someone else's vision. And it's not as it's just the extension of the Monday night program to a new night of the week to ask for like a complete change in, in two different products might be kind of like tough for me to imagine. But at the same time, we're talking about a company that makes two products that feel very different in a main roster program and also NXT. Maybe the simple solution, as I think a lot of people would be happy to see is to simply bring whatever production crew that is currently doing your NXT show up to take over for one of the shows. Now, is Vince ready to do that? I don't we know, know. We know that, like, from speaking with, with David Lagana, that was something they wanted to do way back of having a separate director on SmackDown, and ultimately it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's... I, I mean, there's... I think there's only so much changes that you can rationally expect but that to me is always like the silver lining of a period like this is that when you get to a scary level if it's perceived as scary yeah that's more the opportunity that's as big an opportunity as ever to get some radical change because you're scared into it and there's no sign that the company has been frightened off by these numbers i'm sure that they are very concerned but are they willing to make dramatic sweeping changes that is to be determined I mean, what would you like to see a mod? Like, what what jumps out at you as potential more, more examples? More Slipknot. Well, obviously, you know, uh, take a cue from NXT and the uh, SmackDown theme song is, you know, duality from Slipknot off uh, off Volume Three, the subliminal <laughs> verses. But um, more seriously, I think something as simple as um, a twenty second um, out of the ring count out, uh, like New Japan does it. It's just something different. Um, uh, something um hmm. i don't know no rope breaks i mean anything honestly would be great um it's not just the look i think the look is the issue but the presentation in terms of uh seg- you know in ring segment match in ring segment match backstage you know it's it's really boring you know i think we've it's been exhausted at this point so just really reformatting the show and just moving things around so there there feels like there's life you know, that the show is life, not lifeless, which I think it is right now. Yeah. I also don't think it's, you know, too bad that, like, we're... In the past, they would, like, at least separate something like the, you know, uh, a gimmick match like a Money in the Bank on one show and then having another show do another gimmick. I think having, like, specific rule uh, match types only for one brand makes it somewhat interesting as well, you know, and we haven't really seen too much of of those distinctions lately. Like I'm I like like you bring up the 20 second uh, uh ring ring count out and what we're what you're trying to, you know, get towards is like what what can you someday within the WWE system make two shows that are distinct enough that we, you know, think about like a WWE and a New Japan Pro Wrestling and how different they they are. Is that possible? To and I think it should be. What's to stop them? I don't think there's anything to stop them. It's under their control. 
it's I think what John said, which is to have two different showrunners, they don't have that. And until you have that, it might be more and more difficult to get to that get get to that point. And right now, the last twenty years, the show has been the same. I, I, think, I think I think very. I think realistic expectations are like you could have separate writing staffs for both both shows, uh, separate agents. Uh, like that's all doable stuff that they, that they could do and it probably should be doing for these shows. Um, beyond that, I mean, it becomes very difficult that if you are somebody in that system that wants to propose these changes and you are met with the resistance that this show in its current form landed us a $205 million a year deal from Fox. And you want us to change that. And that's what you have to go against. And that's what you have to argue. And I remember Paul Heyman stating this once, the fact that when you, when you are so successful um, at this level, it's very hard to maneuver change because you're arguing against a system that still, even, even a weakened state, is an ultra successful one. One that generated... $930 million last year in revenue and is targeting a billion this year. So it becomes very hard to go in and say, this is all broken and we need to fix it. And that's where ultimately it, it's it's the power of persuasion and being able to present your changes in such a way that it's not diminishing those that are in power that have put this entire thing together. So, you know, that's, that's the political nature of the company. Hey, Ahmad, thank you very much for the call. I look forward to hearing you every single week take time out of your job. Yeah, no matter what here. day we're, we're live. I expect yeah, let me definitely do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you for the call, Ahmad. Right, good talking to you guys. Later, Ahmad. Take care. Uh, we might have another call on the line as soon as uh, my Skype registers it. But uh, anyway, call call back whoever uh, was trying to call in. Oh, there we go. Uh, hey, what's up? Hey, it's Paul from New Jersey, guys. Hey, Paul. What's going on? Oh, wow. Hey. We're only hearing from New Jersey, I, I, I feel, this week. So what's up? It's an you guys all... are strong. Yeah, we're, we're big in New Jersey. What's going on, Paul? You are. Um, first off, I just have to say, if Conrad is taking any suggestions, if since they're at Caesar's Palace, if they did do a toga party, seven-year-old me and 33-year-old me would mark out really hard because <laughs> that was like the first WrestleMania I saw. It's um, mine too. Would yeah. you really go to a toga yeah. party, Paul? Oh, come on. I guarantee you they'll fill that place. If it's like Jim Ross at uh, a toga at the toga party, oh yeah. I don't think Jim Ross would participate. But I could be wrong. I don't think he would either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I quickly want to touch on two things. Um I know a lot of people were upset about the women's money in the bank picks, but um for me in particular, I've been watching Dana Brooke um on main event and watching her you know, her spot is about a Royal WrestleMania, and I think she's improved immensely. And mm-hmm. I think she's going to turn a lot of heads in the match. I mean, I want her to win, but realistically, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think she's going to have a really good showing, and I hope she proves a lot of people wrong. Um, I don't know if you guys have checked out any of her stuff. I've not. I've heard great things, though, about what she's been doing on uh, on main event. Um, I, 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 I always think people underestimate the uh any of the participants that go into to that money in the bank if you remember last year's women's money in the bank even somebody like lana ended up looking pretty competent and and even had like a pretty you know uh memorable spot that elicited good reactions so if if you know dana brooke even seems to be on the upswing i'm sure she'll they'll design like something pretty good for her I think I think the bigger handicap people have is the fact that this is a character that has not been fully developed on Raw. The fact that you are going to main event Paul to see all of this and there's no room for her, it to me is it's just a character that isn't over. So 
I, I think that in and of itself, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball that that is yet another uh, issue you have to deal with in making her credible going into this match. Because if they were to put this briefcase on Dana Brooke, I think it would be very cold. And and it's not like this this buildup of her has been put forward on Raw for the last three months to where there there would be that natural story. Absolutely, because even my most hardcore wrestling fan friends don't watch main event. And they say, like, oh, yeah, you know, that's cool. But, like, you know, and I think also, like, you know, with her coming up too early, I feel like once the crowd and the majority, once they make the decision about what they think about you, it's really hard to change that. So I think she has a shot. But, yeah, as much as I want her to win, you probably are right. I think it would just do her best to have some really good spots and have somebody else win. Um, but, yeah, and that um, – uh, but lastly, with um, – uh, was it Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose? I – I read that thing they did on SmackDown more as they were staying together. I could be completely wrong, but it's like when we talk about, like, oh, the Riot Squad breaking up, why not show that? I felt like with Sonya Deville and Mandy, like, there was some real character development there, and I hope I'm right. I hope, like, you know, one doesn't turn on the other, but that's kind of the vibe I got from that. I don't know what you guys think about that. The vibe that they're going to stay together? I, I took yeah, it as like, more as it, it's, it's actually fuel that Mandy Rose could actually win this thing. Yeah, like, they had a spot on SmackDown where, like, Sonya said, or Mandy said, no, you should be in it. And Sonya said, no, you should be in it. And they gave each other a hug. And typically in wrestling, that means one's going to turn on the other. But I did read it that they were going to stay together. So I, I, I think I just want to see more character development. Like you said, like, develop these characters on your show. You have three hours. And I think I think that would help the ratings a little bit. I guess my question is, why would why would you even do that segment unless it was to add a wrinkle to the relationship because as they existed, they were already together. So why feel yeah. the need to establish it, uh, reestablish it when there was really no feud between the two of them? They were part, they are partners. They still are. I feel like it's leading towards maybe a breakup or at least something involving the two of them in some type of angle. Yeah. I mean, the way I just read it is that maybe it's adding more depth and trying to do that, but you're probably right. I mean, cause it's typically how wrestling goes, but uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for taking my call and enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Paul. Paul. You too. Uh, I think we might have one more call uh, on the line. So thank you guys for being very patient on this Friday edition of the cafe hangout caller. You're on the line. What's up? MJ and NJ. MJ. Oh my God. All New Jersey. Damn. All New Jersey. I had to call in when I heard uh, I was the, could potentially be the trifecta. That's right. What's up? What's up, MJ? Um, wanted to talk about something I've been kicking around in my head, like the reason these ratings are dropping, potentially what it could mean. And like, if this was the Indies, if this was like ROH or potentially AEW when they're on TV and they were doing 2 million viewers, wouldn't we all celebrate that and say that's amazing and like that's a big success? Yeah, but you're not talking about a company that two million would be a giant feat. This is, this is you're talking about scale. So I mean, we can only compare it to you know what the audience is out there. And I mean, if uh, Impact Wrestling, okay, was on Spike TV and they were doing their their 1.2 million back in the in the Spike days, and all of a sudden a week later they're doing two million viewers, and the following week they're putting up all these two million viewers. Yeah, that's a great gain. But if you're taking from a pool and you're and suddenly it's thirty percent less, I mean, I, I I think you're just you're comparing two drastically different leagues that the the viewership that these two companies are in. So, John, I completely agree with you, and the reason I kind of start with that 
If you look at the rosters today on SmackDown and Raw, I mean, look at Raw. It's edited by AJ Styles and Seth Rollins, two of the biggest stars that ROH and TNA have ever produced. And you now look at, like, the casual WWE fan over the last 25 years, they're now watching indie performers on their main source of wrestling, the WWE. And we talk about that pool of, like, who makes up the three-plus million of viewers. Does the casual fan, like, are they not interested in what we think where wrestling has gone? And I brought, I brought up those ratings for, like, if the smaller companies were doing those ratings, it'd be awesome. But because WWE is doing it with the same kind of talent, it's not good. Um, and I guess, like, I don't know, that was something I was thinking about. Like, you look at who the rosters are made up of. Because NXT is the hottest product WWE has. It's all indie guys. It's presented differently, of course. But it also has a much smaller pool and has a rabid fan base. And I don't know that's translating to the casual fan who seems to be leaving the viewing habits of Raw and SmackDown. But what determines, MJ, who, what an indie guy is? Just because Seth Rollins uh, spent time in ROH, I mean, his name was made in the WWE. Like, to a WWE audience and, and the live reaction that he gets, they've only seen his WWE stuff. And... He's a big star. Same with AJ Styles. You might, we all are probably familiar with his name from TNA, but people who never watched TNA, I think, would enjoy the guy like just the same through what he's done in the WWE. So I call them indie star. I mean, guys like Finn Balor, guys like Ricochet, even an Alistair Black. Like these guys were superstars out of the WWE, and I. Would agree. I'd like to think that the casual viewing fan would appreciate them when brought in, you know, into the company. But I just don't know that we're seeing that over the course of the last two to three to four years, as we've brought in more and more and more. Rollins might be a bad example because he was one of those original NXT guys who had their whole look and feel remade by the WWE. But a lot of these other guys have kind of just been brought in, filtered through NXT, and then shot right up to the main roster. And now the ratings are proving out that that may not be what people watch those programs want um i i really uh, don't believe mj though that it's just simply like there is a, a lack of investment in many of these characters and and you can break down why that is like there's there is not a casual fan base like you are not widening that base it's it it's shrinking and i think that you can look at you could take a lot of these characters and place them in other environments and i think I think they would thrive in them. Um, I think that they're mishandling a lot of the talent when it comes to actually creating stars. I, I think that we're in a very, very difficult period when you look at what the WWE has been able to produce from scratch. I mean, they they have been able to build up people at a certain level, but when you're talking about your John Cena level, I mean, there there is not someone that has stepped into that role since he has left, and I think that there are many factors to that. Um, AJ Styles was someone that was not this gigantic, he was a big star to TNA, but was much bigger when he left TNA and his shows, his independent shows were outdrawing what he was doing in TNA. Uh, that to me was a really big sign that sometimes you are also at the mercy of the product of your environment as well, that there are more people willing to see you outside than, than in, um, and I think you can go to that a lot, that the the building of stars has been something that has been really hurting the company at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't want to come across like I'm blaming these types of talents and types of stars. I mean, frankly, for myself, like these are the guys that I'm still watching week to week Raw and SmackDown for. Like, I love these guys. 
Um, the indie scene is as thriving as it's ever been. And I think that's across the board. I mean, they're creating another company based off of the success on that scene with the elite. Um, maybe there's a midpoint, like maybe the indie scene is moving up and WWE is moving, sliding back a little bit. And there's that midpoint of like, here's the wrestling fan. And what does that mean for kind of that lost fan in WWE? Because they're not growing their base. They are losing the base. It'd be one thing if they were holding steady. It does seem like they're like sliding, um, which I think says a lot more about like the fact that they can't grow it, that they're losing as well. I just feel like as as soon as you have an AJ Styles be involved in the WWE with his own angles in the WWE or Seth Rollins or Daniel Bryan be involved in the, in the WWE with their own storylines, the whole indie association to me is already a moot point. Like they at this point are WWE built guys. Uh, and I'm also thinking about the alternative in, in, in the situation. If you had a roster full of Roman Reigns. Uh, I don't know, or, or Lars Sullivan's or, you know, people that they, they perhaps built from the ground up. I really don't think it would make much of a difference to, to what we see. To me, the difference is how hard you push anybody that you bring up, regardless of where they're from, whether they're original like football players or, or if they're from the Indies. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. Um, I don't think it makes a difference who it is. It's almost like we have attachments to these guys. Um, I watched, I went to WrestleMania with a buddy of mine who's just WWE only. He's having a hard time getting excited about a ricochet. I'm excited about ricochet because I know his story. I know where he's been. He's almost like a made star outside of WWE. And then WWE doesn't know how to use him. And they certainly don't know how to kind of like spotlight or push him. Yeah. I get the, the other fan invested. It's certain. It's certainly a bigger problem with with their handling of guys coming out of NXT to the main roster and then making the mistake that a lot of them are already over because they are over in NXT when they haven't done proper introductions or. Well, I mean, what, what what is the definition of being over? It's that you have that connection to an audience that is willing to tune in to to follow this character of what they are doing week to week. I would be hard pressed that if you have no prior. Uh, exposure to ricochet until february of this past year when he came up what could you tell me about this guy what tell me one thing about this guy beyond a move that he can do he redefines aerial combat there you go that is the character depth of ricochet on the main roster i don't know anything about this guy right i know that he teamed with alistair black why i know he doesn't team with him now and that's about it well, he, he, he's the high flyer. He's the guy who does flips, but it, that's it, not enough. It really makes him no more special than, you know, an Evan Bourne or, or anybody else who does that. Like if I asked you uh, to tell me about the Young Bucks, you can give me their entire life story, all their motivations, why they're doing this show. Well, that's because we pay attention to the Young Bucks, you know, story. Same. I pay attention to Ricochet. I watch him every single week. Right. I'm not told any of this. Yeah, well, that's the There's issue. There's no outlet for him. The problem is on in NXT, they don't have to go through that process because they're in NXT. You're talking to an audience who has followed Ricochet through PWG and through New Japan and through whatever else, so they haven't had to properly build his story. And all you know, you, they make the mistake that he's over in NXT, therefore this will translate. When I think on the main roster, especially, you have to maybe do a lot of the work that you didn't have to do in NXT. And you're also asking like volume. He's now wrestling every single week on Raw. So a guy that only stands out because of a 630 splash and his in-ring, that's any great performer. If Kenny Omega was in this company right now and wrestling every single Tuesday on SmackDown, that wouldn't be enough by 
by four months in that yeah. you need more substance than that than just simply this guy's an, a fantastic wrestler. There is no shortage of phenomenal wrestlers on this main roster. This is the last thing I would worry about. But in order to really care about these characters and have Jesus, I'm not even asking for six month storylines. I'm not asking for Trish Stratus and Mickey James. I'm asking for, hey, from pay per view to pay per view, this is the match we're building to in four weeks. How are we going to get there on week three, week two, and kick it off tonight? And that that would be the bare minimum to me. Let's just put together four week stories. Let's not worry about anything longer than that. Mm-hmm. If if we can have a cohesive, strong story, and not everyone needs a storyline, I would say let's get let's get three solid stories on Raw, three stories on SmackDown, and mm-hmm. we're gonna isolate. These are our main guys. This is what Impact is doing right now. They have their four or five top guys who are the top guys, and everyone knows it. And then they have their middle guys. And then they have their bottom guys. And it's our top guys that we are going to write for, that we are going to have long. Johnny Impact and Brian Cage just finished a, a three-month-long feud. And they were, they're forced into a position to know where they're going in four weeks because they've got to tape it in two nights. And I, I think that sometimes when you're doing live weekly television and you have a leader in Vince McMahon that is not hesitant to veer off course – that you get a lot of the, the the continuity issues, even though you have a writing staff that is trying to plot this stuff out. So that's a very long answer. No, it's a, it's a problem if things get changed, but it's also perhaps the WWE is under, I mean, they are under far more scrutiny and maybe, you know, uh, uh, just, just a vocal audience that might not like a certain direction that you have planned out in four weeks. And how do they strike the balance of listening to the audience if they are doing indeed something wrong that they should change and following through with, with what might already be planned? Would Vince McMahon be as uh, apt to change his, his mind all the time if not for this vocal audience that doesn't like what he does a lot of the time? I think what a lot of people want is to tune in on Monday night next week and see that they are changing things. Because I don't watch the show and see that this... I, I've seen many times when you would see a number slip and then all of a sudden it's it's a panic move on the Monday. And I'm not saying panic because I think that just one-week fixes are not going to be the cure-all. But to at least see that there is a recognition because so far I'm watching this and I'm not seeing from a public standpoint yeah. a lot of concern. And the problem is they've, just, they've hit reset so often. As recently as with the whole McMahon thing uh, earlier this year to no effect. You know? I, and I'm not even saying like drastic storyline alterations and bring the McMahons back. But I mean, if you were to watch and say, that's different, that's something that I don't typically see on raw. The problem is like, I th- I don't think they know what to do. That's different. That will change things. Cause I think their idea of different is doing something like bring the McMahons back, which ultimately well, resulted in the same thing. Yes. MJ. Oh, MJ is still here. <laughs> the, the, the answer is going to be Bill Goldberg. And Bill Goldberg is going to come back, and I'm sure they're going to put him on TV to try to spike a rating. And Bill Goldberg is the epitome of a guy that a casual wrestling fan knows. Um, and he meant and something when he like came back for the, the Lesnar program. I mean, he was uh, he was a difference maker on on television. Uh, absolutely, they're going to do that. I mean, he's he shouldn't but be just showing up. Isn't as a that a short term fix? Yeah, absolutely. It's it is a short term yeah. fix. I mean, that's what. And what does it do to all the guys that are now? Oh. Bill Goldberg's here, so Ricochet. I mean, the idea to that one. I think the idea is that you use the notoriety of somebody like Bill Goldberg to pass on to somebody else. I mean, that he didn't really do that last time he was around. Um, but I wonder. He might do it with Roman. Great. All right, 
MJ, thank you very much for the call. We have uh, we have gone overtime here. Thank you, guys. Thank Great you, NJ. Right, thanks a lot. Very interesting discussion. Appreciate it. All right. This has been our longest uh, cafe hangout. So I think we are going to bid everyone a fond fare- farewell. Uh, but we will be back Everybody on Saturday. Everybody in New Jersey. Yes. At least. Thank you. The, uh, yep. the New Jersey hangout. Uh, <laughs> we are, are going to be back, if you're a member, at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, you can tune in to our review of both Wrestling Dontaku shows on Saturday and then Sunday night for Cafe members, a brand new edition of Rewind Away. We're tackling New Year's Revolution 2006, the very first cash-in involving Edge cashing in on John Cena. So that's what you get to look forward to. And then everyone gets a, uh, a mini break from myself uh, next week at postwrestling.com. So thanks everyone for listening. A big thank you to Conrad Thompson, as well as Court Bauer. Uh, you can go check out starcast.com and MLW Fusion Saturday night, 9 Eastern on BN Sports. Uh, that is it for Way. I'm John, and we'll speak with you later this weekend.